Abba Yahweh, Father God, Lord God. I love learning the word of the old ways and the old language, the old tongue, Father God, of your names, hearing your names, Father God. Hashem, Lord God, Yahweh, maker of all things made. Oh, Father God, the Ancient of Days, our author and finisher, thank you, Father, for being my good, good Father. Thank you, Father, for just loving us so much. And thank you, Father, for trusting me with your treasure, your word. For Father God, your word is a treasure to me. Father, that you allow me to do this thing, that you think this is a good thing, and that you... Allow me to pursue your words, your knowledge, your wisdom to share, Father God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Brothers and sisters, I, I do this. This is a, how often, how often do we say thank you? To Abba Yahweh, Father God. How often do you say thank you? Or, as so many often do, that we just take it for granted. That he's there, we're here. The word tells us that we are to be thankful and have a joyful, make a joyful noise unto the Lord and thank him in all things. My day starts with thanking God. Because let me remind you of this, brothers and sisters. He is sovereign over all things. And by his grace that we even live. That we have life, that we have breath. Because at any time, God would just snap his fingers. He wouldn't even have to exert that energy. And our life would be forfeit. It is God's timing in all things. Tomorrow is never promised to us. And I think what is of import to understand and know that there are many, many, many that take life for granted. And sadly enough, there are many Christians that do the same thing. And... They always seem to have this excuse. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, you only have the time because God has graced you with it to begin with. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have it. So what's the difficulty in taking a few seconds? People get so wrapped up in this thing called time. It's so wrapped up in it, and it's it's sometimes it's quite honestly it's infuriating because of what I do, my job, and what I see every day. It it's a matter, literally, brothers and sisters, of seconds, seconds. But people are so wrapped up in time that they nearly collide with other vehicles. They nearly run people over. They do illegal things at high rates of speed. And why? For seconds. Six to eight seconds. 
F that. That's pretty pathetic that people get so wrapped up. Mammon is so wrapped up in this time thing. And sadly enough, as I was sharing, there are members that claim to be Christians. And then they, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't have time. You wouldn't have your breath. You wouldn't have your life if it wasn't for God. So think on that for a minute. And as I share with you, you want to be offended? Fine, be offended. For they that seek offense shall find offense, just like they that seek the face of God and his word, his truth, his knowledge and wisdom will find that as well. It depends on what you're looking for that you find. Pretty simple, actually. And it's a principle that ought to be put into practice much more often than it is. People are so busy finding things to be offended by that they have completely forgotten everything else. Kindness, goodness, love, grace, mercy, compassion, and totally forgotten about God. God is sovereign over all things. When I get up, my day starts with thanking God first for my breath. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, by God's grace, we continue, and by God's grace that we have what we don't deserve. And it's by his mercy that he holds back what we do deserve. Is there anyone out there that thinks that we deserve all these great, nice things that we have? Our breath, our life, we just take it for granted and that, yeah, we deserve it. Let me express it to you. You're wrong. You haven't done anything to pay God for what he's done. You haven't done anything to pay back Jesus Christ for what he did. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do. Nothing I can do. (coughs) Pardon me. There is nothing at all. There is no cost that we can muster. No amount that we can save or gather. No trade that we can make that would ever pay. How can you pay for somebody laying their life down for you? How is that repayable? And we're not talking Jesus Christ, the Son of God here now. Let's just talk about another person, a really dear friend that laid their life down that you would continue breathing and living. Donated an organ, knowing full well, pardon me, that their life would be forfeit. How do you repay that? Do you go through life just taking for granted that it was done? Or every time that you see a member of their family, their wife, their husband, whomever, that you take a moment and say thank you? Or that when you see them, you might weep and and hug them and say thank you? You know, you have choices that you make. God, Abba, Yahweh, our Father, God, maker of all things made, the beginning and the end, the author, the finisher, the great I am, the creator, 
<clears throat> pardon me, he created us. He gives us breath. He gives us life. And we are until God says we are not. Do you take that time in the morning and say, thank you, Father, for my breath. Thank you for this day. You have walked this day. God has walked every day that we have. We don't know tomorrow what tomorrow brings. God knows. God's already walked it. He knows things are going to come against us. He knows things what is going to happen. But he's always with us to guide us through. We need to take the time to thank him for all things, even if it um, could be a tumultuous issue. But rather than saying, oh, why God? Why me? Why is this happening to me now? I don't need this to happen now. Just say, thank you, Father. I know you're here with me. I've got my hand is out. Take me them by the hand and lead me. Lead me on, Father. Teach me what you have to teach me. It's a difficult thing to do. I'm not saying it's easy. I find difficulty in it sometimes. But when I catch myself, rather than becoming annoyed, I just immediately, forgive me for that annoyance, Father, Holy Spirit, guide me. I know that you're here to guide me and teach me and to comfort me. And I keep plodding forward and going ahead. But I thank God for the situations that we have. We are to do that. And the Holy Spirit is our guide that is dwelling with each one of us. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into the courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. The beginning, the end, the author and the finisher, the maker of all things that are made. That is our Lord God Almighty. So rather than taking for granted the things that God has done for us, made for us, one of the best things and the best ways that we can get closer to God and be able to get inside his courtyard and into the temple to praise and to be by him is in thanksgiving, praising his name, being thankful. The gates open. The gates open. It's like this great thing. You know, when you go to the supermarket and they have the door, they just open. You come up and you're, you're there and you walk up to the door and they open up. Well, you walk up to the temple and you walk up to the Lord's entry praising and thanking him and worshiping him and those doors open. But there's no one there opening those doors and the doors are magnificent and huge and ginormous. <laughs> Word I used to use as a kid, use sometimes now, as I just did. But 
the gates are huge. This is, this is the gateway to God's temple, to his throne room. And all we have to do to gain entry is praise his name and thank him for all that he's done for us. That's all we have to do to gain entry. Pretty simple. However, however, sadly, there are many that make it very, very difficult. They make it much more difficult than reality relies. The reality is all that you have to do is, and you don't even have to say it out loud. That's the thing. You got people that, oh, I have get embarrassed what yeah I've heard that one before too get embarrassed get embarrassed to say thank you to God you're at church you have other worshipers that are around you other members of the body of Christ and you're embarrassed this is why when they they refuse to pray in the spirit or they refuse to utter in the spirit. <laughs> and the the sad and funny part at the same time to that is that I've heard people say that when they're in a place by themselves, they claim embarrassment. Excuse me. Here's something that my ancestors taught a long time ago. You can only be embarrassed if you allow yourself to be embarrassed. You can only feel guilty if you allow yourself to feel guilty. If there's nothing to feel guilty about or to feel embarrassed about, then why are you? If you're allowing that to happen. It's the same way with the demons when they come and people say, oh, they robbed me of my joy. They robbed me of my happiness today. They this and they that. No, they didn't. Quit putting the onus on them. The onus is on you. If you allowed them to take it away and you held it out in your open arms and they picked it up and ran off with it, as they will do because that's what they will do, you gave it away and you let them have it. You allowed them to take it. You allow the feeling of guilt. You allow the feeling of embarrassment. Why are you embarrassed to talk to God and to just sit there and let go? The word tells us that the Holy Spirit will be there and it will give utterance and groanings to things that we don't understand. And that's okay because we don't have to understand it. We're not living in heaven right now. We're living in this plane of existence called earth, this broken dark place that we need to be the light in. We need to guide people home in. We need to be that lighthouse to guide them to the haven of rest and to the Lord, that's what we're supposed to do. So when we utter things through the Spirit, we're not going to understand them. It's not for us to perceive and stop trying to figure things out with a finite mind of mammon. If it were intended for us to know and understand, God would give that to us. And there are those individuals that he does. <clears throat> so... When you have the uttering of the Holy Spirit in a congregation and God allows that to take place, he will also give utterance to translation. 
Because remember this, brothers and sisters, that God is not a God of confusion, condemnation, and accusation. That is not our Father God. That is this devil. That's what he does. He accuses. He confuses. He points his fingers. He condemns. That's what he does. Not our good, good Father. I'll share this with you. That uh, I remember in the church that I was raised in that there was a, a meeting one evening and there was a speaking and I'll, I'll share this as well, is that my mother, <laughs> my mother did not even have an opportunity to finish schooling. You have to understand that during the Depression era, things were much different. My mother and father were, came, both came through the Depression. My mother never had real, never completed formal schooling. I think she finished third grade, fifth grade, something like that. And yet, my mother spoke many languages. A huge collection of languages that she had. Of course, she didn't understand what they were. But I remember this one evening that my mother began speaking. She began speaking in the spirit. She began speaking in tongues, as people will call it. And she went on for several minutes. And the pastor, being the good shepherd, he said that someone has this. I know that someone has this. I feel that someone has this. Meaning that there was a translation. And the translation didn't come. But that evening, as everyone was starting to depart, there was a person that came up to the pastor. And the thing of it is that no one in the congregation got twist, got their knickers in a twist and got all upset and agitated and rattled about it. Somewhat confused, and they talked to the pastor and he, he you know, put that down. He said, someone, someone understood what happened. And as he was explaining that sometimes there will be a message that is meant specifically. And a person came as almost the whole congregation had left for the night. And the pastor was in his office and this person knocked and walked in. And they told the pastor, he said, I'm sorry that I understood what was being said. And pastors asked the man to sit down and he explained that he was from the Philippines and that the language my mother was speaking was Filipino. My mother's never been to the Philippines. She has had no language training whatsoever. But this young man explained to the pastor, he said, I, I understood everything she said and it was in Filipino. And, and he said, I think that that message was meant for me, just for me. And so then as they talked and spoke further about that, the pastor was in agreement that that indeed that message was meant specifically for that man. It was not meant for everyone else. But the thing that was really great about this is that the grace of God was upon the congregation 
and no one got confused, no one got agitated, no one got rattled about it, and nobody caused a stink. Instead of that, they just walked to the pastor and they said, why do you suppose, or perhaps, and then, of course, in the knowledge and wisdom of God that God imparted to him, he said that this message was for a specific person, that someone was here, and he was correct, is that he knew and he felt in his heart the Holy Spirit was that somebody had the translation. Someone did have the translation. That young Filipino man understood everything that my mother, with no formal language training, had to say. He understood it all. So, brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit takes us to lead us, we should not hamper, put it down, and diminish any of that because it's for a purpose. I've shared with you before, brothers and sisters, the the uttering of the tongues in the Holy Spirit and speaking in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. Because when we pray openly in plain language, the enemy and his minions can understand what we're praying and talking about and comes to beset us with temptations and agitations regarding that very thing. It's true, brothers and sisters, it's in the word of God, and I am not going to speak untruth. I will not. I've told you before, try my spirit. You will find my spirit is truth. In thee, O Lord, this is Psalm 31, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. And verse 14, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. Kind of a sad thing here and all the political upheaval and turmoil and things that are going on that you have to know that these elected officials that we think are so wonderful and so great and well, they're elected, they're in charge now, and, you know, people have become so complacent and and things here. It's actually pretty funny, but that just shows me that there are many that are not even educated in, in anything at all dealing with their own country. Kind of sad. Um, but here's the deal. Elected officials are not in charge. You remember that the preamble to the this document, we, the people. And you remember that there's another stanza of the people, by the people, and for the people. But yet there are those that have been elected and there are those that shrug their shoulder and say, well, 
That's just the way it is because they're in charge now. I mean, we elected them. They know better. No, they don't. And that's not their job to know better. Their job is just to lead and guide. And we, as God's people, need to pray for them because it requires a lot. It does. It's not an easy job. You can't please all the people all the time. So you have to do your very best. However, you don't just ignore the people. And the sad part of this commentary that I'm getting to is that they're trying to remove from the currency that our founding fathers put that on the currency for a reason. In God we trust. So not only do they turn, (laughs) pardon me, they turn their back on the Pledge of Allegiance, which used to be, I can remember many years ago when I was a young person, that before the State of the Union address was given by the president, I, I can remember uh, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, all of them before they, when they got into Congress and they had all the stuff going on, that before session started, first of all, Billy Graham had prayed almost over every session that was taking place, was invited to do so, or the Washington, the, the White House pastor, would pray over the session, began in prayer, and then they would recite the Pledge of Allegiance, and they would all face the and you'd hear them all. Of course, there might have been some that didn't say it, and that's no big deal. I mean, when I was growing up as a child, it, it didn't make a great production of this, that there were some that were because of religious attitudes and again there's that religion religious attitudes they they were uncomfortable in that and the teacher said that's fine just stand up with the rest of the kids but you don't have to say the pledge and that was fine that was fine with the parents that was fine with the kids and they just didn't recite the pledge of allegiance for them that was idolatry and that's okay. But the thing, the point that I'm trying to get to, brothers and sisters, is that, is that when you, you have many of those that are, will find and seek that thing that's offensive. And how is it that our God, our Father, has now become offensive? And that they look to erase in God we trust from our currency. We don't even say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore athletes and all that they go to these huge things and they don't even stand up for the the national anthem and i'm going to take this opportunity to share about that that that's a that's a total misrepresentation of what their their ideal is and and i honestly i don't think that they have any real concept that number 1 they're disrespecting the veterans, one of which includes myself, but I had many that came home draped in a box, draped with that flag. And, you know, granted they're exercising their freedom of speech, but they're not saying anything. But what they're doing is they're showing disrespect to those individuals. And at the same time, this might seem like a twist to some, but also disrespecting 
God. When was the last time any of you have recited the Pledge of Allegiance? Remember that there's a, there's a little, there's a stanza in there that declares one nation under God. We are no longer one nation under God. The enemy is driving that out. The enemy is attempting to drive us into derision, separation, apart from one another. I mean, goodness gracious, it begins with the children. The attack on the children, separating them from parents, separating couples, because marriage and couples are sanctified by God. The children are that thing that is a symbol of that. And we allow things to separate us from that point, myself being one. At the time, my walk, I was not close to God. And I've shared already, had I been the man of God I was intended to be, that we'd still be together now. But that's not really neither here nor there. That's just that's just purely an example. Brothers and sisters, we need to focus on togetherness, to be of one love and one faith, and that we need to be not in darkness. So in first Thessalonians five I'm going to share with you and I'm going to say um, we're going to start up here in verse number four. I'm going to share starting there with you and just read through this. But ye brethren are not in darkness that day that that day should overtake you as a thief and that day that is being spoken of is the return of Jesus Christ. Remember, he tells us that he will come as a thief in the light, that we do not know the hour, the time, the day, that save God the Father is the only one. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. That doesn't mean we stay awake 24 hours a day. That's not what... Paul is talking about. Now, Paul wrote this letter from uh, being in captivity. He was in Athens, as I've shared with you that most of his letters were, but he's just telling them that we need to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be edifying one another, uplifting one another, encouraging one another, and not to be asleep. So we need to be sober in our actions. Be aware of what we're doing because a drunken fool is just exactly that, a drunken fool, walking into things, tripping over things, falling down and not even knowing where they are. We need to be sober and know where we are in the word of God and it, exhorting one another in love for one another, in prayer for one another. That's what we're told to do. And that's what this passage means, not to stay awake 24 hours a day because that's actually contrary to teaching in the Bible that we're supposed to rest. 
For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even also as ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, but be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but forever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. What he's talking about, and Paul writes in this continuing, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, all things hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So this letter from Paul is an exhortation to the brethren of the church at Thessalonica. Having a little difficulty, but he was also very thankful for them because they were also a good church. And he reminded them that you pray without ceasing. That I've shared with you before. It's possible to do that. You don't have to take a, a prayer posture. It'd be kind of hard to kneel down while you're driving a vehicle and close your eyes and, and all those things. Or to take a prayer posture of uh, being uh, prostate on the... On the floor, you lay down, your face buried in there, and your hands out, and you know, uh, prostrate on the floor. You don't want to. So, you can pray all day long. You don't have to close your eyes. God's not requiring that you do that. Prayers. A conversation with our Father. That's that's all He desires from us. It's just that we talk with Him. We commune with Him. He enjoys that. He likes to know that we appreciate Him. Doesn't it feel good? <clears throat> let me let me <laughs> I'm gonna share this with you. And this was a little bit when <clears throat> 
here we go, getting anecdotal. <clears throat> Pardon me. When I was in the service and as a, uh, uh, I made my way up in the rank pretty well, and I was an instructor, and uh, many things were done and they were expected to be done being in the military. But what I had to learn was not to expect to be thanked for what I did. Yeah, I got over that pretty pretty well, certain things that I did. But then at the same time, when I would do things around home or, you know, around the house or, or something for someone else, it felt really nice when someone said thank you. And they recognize it and they appreciate it. And what I have to get by, sometimes now I find myself getting caught in this and I immediately start praying about it and I ask forgiveness because it's not a proper posture for me to be in. But, you know, there are people that don't say thank you. They're very quiet. They just in and out, in and out, in and out. And that's all they do. Never once uttering a thank you, even in the worst possible weather, the worst possible conditions, not even a thank you. <clears throat> but I make a point to tell them, thank you. And uh, I have to make sure that it's done in a right way, a loving way, and a proper way. Uprightness. Be upright in everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we exhibit, everything that is shown. That we have to be sober in that and be righteous in that. No sarcasm, no attitude. No delivering the uh, proverbial slap in the face. I mean, that's not appropriate. That's not what we are to do. Not what we're about. And in this thing, when he wrote in his letter, the simple-minded or the feeble-minded, we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that there are those that are in our society that walk around like that, and they don't understand certain concepts of things. And I find myself in prayer about this constantly because I want to make sure that I'm not displaying any disrespect and, and um, that I am not uh, hurtful in any way, shape, or form. And then when I recognize these things, I ask for extra guidance because, brothers and sisters, from us, those individuals require extra compassion, extra grace, extra kindness. We have to add a second helping. Okay? So that's like uh, not a single scoop ice cream of grace, compassion, and kindness. That's a double scoop or even a triple scoop. And that is what we are to be about. That is what Paul is writing about to the Thessalonians. The church in Thessalonica, he's writing that. <clears throat> and regardless too, brothers and sisters, is he's writing from being imprisoned. As our, I can't remember what the exact number percentage is, I think it's about 90%. Of his letters, he was either on house arrest, confined, and in several cases, even chained. And in his last letters, he knew that it was coming time that they were going to kill him. And yet, he exhorted, he uplifted and sometimes admonished. 
And as I share with you, brothers and sisters, I tell you, if the shoe fits, then wear it. If it doesn't, then don't get your knickers in a twist about it. Don't be all agitated about it. Don't seek for the offensive. If you look for things to be offended by, you're going to find them very easily. But don't look for them. If it doesn't apply to you, like my, like my, my mom and dad used to say, in particular my father, my mom used to say, if the shoe fits, wear it. Dad used to say, if it doesn't apply to you, then don't worry about it. So rather than going through the course of the whole day being agitated and worried about something that doesn't even apply to me or that doesn't even matter to me, and it was for my brothers, one of my brothers, but then why would I get all wrapped up and going through the course of the day and be all agitated about it and wondering about it and thinking about it? That's silliness. <clears throat> but here's the thing too, brothers and sisters, the enemy looks to do that. He looks to do that very same thing, to keep us distracted, to keep us looking to the left, looking to the right, wondering about this or that. Well, did he mean that for me? Hmm. And then going through the course of the day. And what does that do? That keeps you from being focused on what? That's right, on the face of God. That keeps you from being focused on the word of God. That keeps you from what? Praying. It keeps you from being where we need to be. So if we're getting all wrapped up in things that don't apply and things that are offensive, then we're not focusing on those things. And as I shared with you, the enemy is real. The enemy is true. And for those that decide that they don't want to know about that, hear about that, and they consider that something else, and that they say that, oh, you're focusing on it. No, we're not focusing on the enemy. We're just sharing the fact that the enemy is real. But part of his infiltration process and his psyops, as I've shared with you before, this is a psychological warfare, and he uses it quite well because he's a very prolific tactician. He's good at what he does. And he feeds that seed in your thought process to get you to not study about him. Because here's the deal. If you don't think about the enemy and the possibility of the things that he can do, you tend to ignore the enemy. And that's when the enemy slams shut the big bear trap. Seen it happen, brothers and sisters. Tried to teach these young lieutenants that certain things and they didn't want to hear it because they knew best except they didn't at any rate brothers and sisters don't be like that don't be a second lieutenant in the army of God listen to those that have been around and try to help and share that's what this is about keeping us safe keeping us practical keeping us in the word keeping us seeking God's face focus on God focus on the word focus on his truth Knowledge, wisdom, love, understanding, all those things that go so past our finite mind's ability to think and understand it, okay? His ways are so much higher. But see, here's the thing that the enemy likes to do. He likes to get us agitated. He likes to get us rattled. And he likes us to believe that God isn't listening because God has more important things to do. Except that's total contrary bourgeois to what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God neither sleeps nor slumbers and is ever watchful of his children. It also tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. So he doesn't go walking with us and then just wander away. 
And he doesn't take us into the midst of something and then just leave us there hanging to do it on our own. He does not do that. It might be uncomfortable because it's a teaching element and it might not be exactly comfortable, but God is with us in all things. Focus on the word of God. Focus on God's face. Focus on those things of love, goodness, being sober in the word, brothers and sisters. Don't be like the drunken fool wandering around, bouncing off of walls and signs and tripping over your own feet because you have no idea of where you're going or what to do. The Spirit will guide and teach us. Brothers, sisters, I love you. You have a good day, a blessed day. And as always, I pray on my going out and my coming in and through the course of the day for you. Love you.